we're starting to see more regulation with them. They're changing very subtly right now uh, what their opinions and what their uh, transparency policies are and what level of accountability they will hold very risky institutions to. So those changes have already been put in place. The, the execution date on those keeps getting moved here or there, but the idea is there. The sentiment of the uh, institutions that will be held accountable by the United States government, if there was some crazy black swan market failure event due to negligent uh, institutions just being crazy with their trades, ego trading essentially, um, then those people will be held accountable and they will be liquidated. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today I'm talking to William Steele, also known as Bill Steele, the co-founder of the Stonk News Network, or the Stonks News Network, is it? And yeah. uh, a science fiction novelist based out of Texas. So how are you? Welcome to the show, man. Thank you very much for having me, Josh. Thank you very much. <laughs> Yeah, no problem. Uh, so before I start, I have to plug two things real quick. I have to plug, first of all, my book, which has uh, been out for a month now. It's called Brexit, The Establishment Civil War. It's basically a case study of how social media is destroying our democracy. Uh, so, you know, that's that's a real fun topic. People, go 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 check it out. Uh, the link is in the description below. And also, given that we're going to spend, I'd say, a reasonable amount of time talking about GameStop, uh, my friend and I made a whole bunch of T-shirts and put them on Teespring in order to fund buying more G- GME stock. So uh, if you want to get one of those, um, I will put the link in the description below as well. So uh, before we were talking there, you, you, you uh, mentioned that you're about 10 miles from or 10 minutes from the, the Mexico border and the exciting things are happening in Texas right now uh, because of SpaceX, Virgin Galactic, uh, Elon Musk. Um, do you want to tell me why you're so excited about the area before we get into the, the financial nitty gritty? Yeah, definitely. So I'm in the area, uh, I'm currently stationed and Stomp News Network is out of Parlingen, Texas. We're part of a kind of tri-city area known as the Rio Grande Valley. So uh, yeah, shout out to all the people from the 956. Uh, They are, it's a very interesting area because SpaceX is here now. Um, With the dynamic of coronavirus, one of the biggest tourist attractions we had, as everyone probably knows, is South Padre Island where everyone comes during spring break to get like super wasty. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, it, it's really exciting because SpaceX is pouring. Elon Musk just announced a couple of days ago, he's putting, you know, $30 million in the Cameron County education system to attract a nicer area because a lot of people don't know we don't have very much money here. Uh, this is not one of the wealthier areas of the United States. I don't know why it's wonderful. The weather's great. It's warm all year. It's a tropical climate. We're right by the beach. Um, but yeah, he's pumping a bunch of money into the economy. We're starting to see a growth in the education, which is huge because it'll attract, you know, bigger families, uh, engineers. That's kind of what his goal was. And he's helping to really re revamp and restructure how the economy, you know, not all of it, but some of it works down here, uh, and kind of, you know, shedding some light onto, you know, what's going on politically down here and, helping to, you know, make the Rio Grande Valley a better place. So it's a really exciting thing. Real estate's getting, you know, nice and nice and juicy <laughs> for all my commercial and residential guys in the area. Um, but yeah, the, it's a beautiful place. 
Yeah, I mean, Texas has also got the they're they're a lot more open um, and have been for for quite a while than than a, uh, a number of other states. So it it's got to be like a an exciting place to be at the minute. It feels like every every time I listen to any any podcaster or or anyone involved in creative industries of any form, they they they're all talking about Texas, which is is weird. I mean, you got you got uh, Joe Rogan. Uh, arrived in in Austin six months ago, something like that, and then since then he's been really pushing it. And he's like trying to convince people to come. It seems like it's uh, it's going to be the new California. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's what a lot of people are uh, is suspecting. I know Austin. For those that don't know, it's becoming you know one of the biggest music hubs in the world. So it's attracting a ton of artists. We got guys, you know, Post Malone, you know, claims Austin is home. Matthew McConaughey is really heavily back in town out with the Longhorns. There's a lot of like, it's crazy. It's getting crazy. There's a lot of Hollywood getting in mixed in, in Texas. There's a lot of music artists getting mixed in, in Texas. And uh, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. I mean, just, I can say one, a big reason why I believe SpaceX would have come down here is the security purposes. Uh, we're not on either of the coastal areas. We're dead smack center kind of in the uh, continent of North America, right? Really at this, at this point, um, it's a big, huge state and there's a ton of land. So for all my, you know, again, real estate investors out there, there is so much land out here in South Texas. It, you, you can't chuck a stick without hitting, you know, a couple hundred acres uh, for prices that you really just can't beat. I mean, I'm I'm already planning my my exit to uh to some sort of red state when um, if Europe just goes under, <laughs> so so maybe I need to look at Texas. <laughs> sure, man. definitely, definitely, yeah. That's that's the thing too. I know Joe Rogan's talked about it, but like if you come to Texas, you know we do things a certain way here. <laughs> you see, the the only problem is I need a green card or or some sort of work permit <laughs> or a job, yeah. and that's difficult to get before like if you're if you're coming from outside of america like i tried before when i was like this is totally off topic but who cares when i was 15 i i was like or 16 i was working in a restaurant and this um i I just got talking to this uh, guy who owned like a whole string of restaurants in new york and he was like yeah you know you seem fun you should come out and work for me um for the summer so i like looked into trying to do it and it seems like the, the 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 American visa system essentially works like you need a visa to get a job, but you need a job to get a visa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's hilarious! I know I've heard it's pretty difficult. Uh, the only way that I've heard it's re- like a little bit easier is school. Mm. That's the only thing that I've like because in my experience, I've only ever met illegal migrant workers or you know my friends that were at university with me. Mm. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. I'm not too familiar, and it's I, I'm definitely going to take a look into that. I know, you know, we got Joe Biden in office, so it might get a little easier. <laughs> True. It's true. Open borders and whatnot. You never know. Yep. Um, so we are here to talk mainly uh, about about GameStop. So over the last three months or so, since since I first like got you know whispers of of this thing that was happening, I don't I don't know quite how to describe it yet. Um, I've been doing like quite a lot of writing and research and work and essentially trying to figure out like how real like it is because uh, on one side you've either got like the most 
outrageous, egregious, like blatant case of of stock market manipulation, of fraud, of like a uh, complete like well non enforcement of rules from the SEC, from willful blindness or or I don't know corruption for whatever reason. You've got the media pumping constantly this this idea that GameStop is done until the, the tide seems to be turning a little bit but there's there's a fantastic quote actually I read from from a dude on Reddit and it it really like stuck with me and it said no one in the media in my trading history has ever cared or warned me I'm going to lose big money on the eve of Bear Stearns collapse that's in 2008 for anyone who doesn't know they were one of the first um, big banks to go down they were still telling us to buy so you've got that side and either we're seeing this horrendous manipulation and, and fraud or we're seeing, as, as I mentioned before we started, like the most insane case of internet groupthink that has ever been seen in the, in, in the history of, of the internet. Like aside from, you know, perhaps QAnon or, I don't know, the, the, the lizard people and David Icke. Um, <laughs> like the, you, you have, but you have to go that crazy to like, like if, because if these people are wrong, right? Say all of Reddit and the, and the massive hive mind that, that it is and, you know, r slash Wall Street Bets New or r slash GME or any of the, the subreddits or the discords or any of these forums, like everyone seems just sure that this is a thing, that, that there was um, an outrageous amount of shorting that went on. And then after that, we'll, we'll get into the, the details of, of, the, of the, the, the fuckery basically that has gone on um, allegedly over the past couple of months. So why do you believe that it isn't a case of groupthink? I would have to start with saying that there's too much information available now for it to just be grouping and there's too much support from multiple angles and uh, and i'll start with this whenever there is not billions but like trillions of dollars involved in something it i i argue that nothing is off the table so there is there is nothing off the table when dealing with the volumes of money and something as big as you know the stock the united states uh, stock market and the the players involved are massive they're you know every kind of bank that is in the united states you know we have financial institutions that are global um and it's and of course the you know, u.s stock market is not just u.s individual money it's the world the world is involved in our market so it's not a case of groupthink in my opinion and it's because there has been not just heavy media attention on it, but heavy mm, regular American and, you know, regular citizen, regular global citizen attention on this idea. And I think personally, this has been a long time coming. I think that the, the amount of kind of uh, shadow work, I hate to use that term, but how the stock market has been kept a very complicated idea and, you know, something you need to refer to a broker for, you know, you need somebody to be an intermediary for your money when you're getting in the stock market. That's how everyone has played the game, you know, kind of up until the new retail investor revolution, until it was made very easy. The barrier of entry was um, trading fees. So when they removed trading fees and they allowed retail investors to not just uh, place, you know, uh, move money for essentially for zero fees, um, but they, what happened was there was, uh, 
all of the barrier of entries were removed for individuals to come together as a group and freely share information about what they believe is going on in the stock market and make very, very convincing cases. So there were just a bunch of really convincing case arguments. And the example is, you know, kind of like the Lord and savior of Wall Street Betch, Roaring Kitty. He went on and made a bunch of statements and claims on why he believes GameStop was such a good case and left it up to individuals to decide whether or not the conviction was strong enough to place their money, place their bet, you know? Um, and what we're, what, we're, what we're seeing now is an after effect of the GameStop gamma squeeze is incredible. So I saw two days ago, we were kind of discussing about earlier about the CNBC spotlight on what's going on with um, uh, Ar- Archegon or- uh, Archegos. Yeah, yeah, Archegos, the, uh, the, the, that particular fund who was using trade swaps to essentially create a synthetic short position. Now, for those who don't know what a synthetic short position is, um, or what, we'll start back with what a short position is. Uh, a short position is essentially where you put, where you put, where you take and buy a contract that allows you to borrow shares from a brokerage and you're borrowing on a bet or a position that that stock price will go down so that you can make a profit to keep things very simple. That's what it is. You're betting on a stock price going down for whatever reasons. It could be because you think that the company is not good. The market you think is just going to tank for some reason, you know, on uh, whatever the case is. And with this, it is a declared position. So your, your short position is made known and not just individuals like retail investors like you and I can take short positions, but massive institutions can take short positions. And they, the effects of a huge short position on a particular stock um, creates sentiment in the market or creates a general feeling for what that stock might do. Because again, all of these are numbers that we can see and measure on different trading platforms. So when you look at all these graphs and all this metrics and data, you're thinking when you see a you know huge short position or a huge what we call short interest on a particular stock, we think, oh man, that company, the general sentiment is that company is going to do bad. Man, that 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 creates perception of the price. So that is declared situation. So that is a public, you know, public information you and I can both access. There are plenty of creative mechanisms that these institutions have made and keep in their arsenal for situations where they don't want the public, uh, for it to be as direct for the public to know that there is a large short position on a particular company or a particular stock price. Um, and on a particular security, sorry. Uh, and this has come to light and CNBC, which is a mainstream media outlet was covering this in a, a piece that I saw two days ago, uh, which I found very interesting because it's a totally different sign. It shows where the media is going with this now, which is a very unusual thing in my opinion. Um, so they essentially discussed openly on a major news platform the fact that large institutions can use creative strategies to create a synthetic short or create a position uh, 
using banks and using uh, a couple of other different means, uh, trade swaps. And, and that this is what a lot of people on Reddit are calling like the whole dark pools phenomenon. They're kind of all lumping, they're kind of all lumped into the same thing. In my opinion, they're creative strategies that institutions use to make their positions not transparent in the marketplace, which in my opinion is super, it should be super illegal uh, because the, the one reason that we have something like the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, is to hold all parties, no matter the size of what kind of money they have, no matter what history they have in the marketplace, accountable for what they're doing in the marketplace. In order for a game to be played fair, all of the rules need to be created in such a way that it makes the game fair. So the rules currently are not built uh, solidly enough or not outlined uh, in a good enough way for the game to be considered fair, in my opinion. And this is also the opinion of uh, someone that if you don't know about, you should definitely check out the CEO of uh, Better Markets, uh, Dennis Keller. And he has spent almost arguably like a, a career dedicated to this one subject. So he has a lot of really great creative strategies um, and he essentially has a solution for this problem that he's advocating for that is already made that just needs to get pushed through and needs the SEC needs to essentially enact it. Um, and this would hold all these institutions accountable for these positions that we can't see and money being moved in ways that is very, very difficult to draw the lines from the numbers, because uh, if you don't know, you could get lost in numbers in the stock market. You can get lost. I mean, it can drive some people, uh, you know, into an institution. I'm not talking a financial one. <laughs> so the, the 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 amount of numbers is insane. But there's a lot of really incredible information being hidden in these numbers. That if you have no, uh, this is where the term knowledge is power comes from. If you if you don't have, if you're not privy to the knowledge. You can only see uh, a good metaphor is the chessboard, right? Is a full size chessboard, but you can only see four squares in the middle. Everything else is dark. So, in order for everything to be, you know, lit up, there needs to be rules and regulations in place that allow for the board to be seen very clearly and to have a very good understanding of what's going on in the market. So, what we're seeing here is uh, potentially the beginning of what I believe, and I'm an optimist. Um, to be the transition to an actually transparent marketplace, uh, you know, for the United States stock market. And I would argue once they set the precedence, the only other potential countries that might not abide by it would be, in my opinion, Russia and China. Hmm. Um, and, <clears throat> of course, we, we all definitely know that the, the, the Chinese are not uh, known for their transparency. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, there's a ton of... Uh, of change and indicators in my opinion that is happening right now in real time before our eyes, which is really, really exciting uh, because you, you, you asked me if I believe that if it came down to it, would Congress side on the American people's, you know, and the people that trade in the market's behalf. And I have to say right now, uh, even being an optimist, I don't believe so. I'm a realist in that situation. We saw it happen in 2008, um, and we are, you know, probably going to see it happen again. But 
in this in this instance, it, you know, if things continue to go the way they're going, and there there is you know more blatant you know uh, synthetic short positions, you know, when, when these margin calls happen and the direct impacts when, when these institutions can't keep what's going on hidden any longer. And of course, I am a firm believer that truth will come to light and it will push its way through. When those things happen and those, however, those manifestations of, um, you know, that mm, manipulation become uh, obvious, we will see reform and it it probably will be slow, uh, but it will be reform in the direction of, of putting money and wealth back into the hands of the people. Uh, and that's what I believe is going to be the result of all of this. What we're seeing now is the ability for, uh, as information is traded so much faster in the world that we live in, we're also seeing the same thing happen with everything. Technology is just amplifying everything. And so the, the amount of the rate of information that's being exchanged is going up so much faster all the time. And the amount of money that's changing hands has only gotten faster. And we're starting to now also see that in what I believe has been one of the biggest place barriers is wealth coming from large institutions to the hands of the middle, uh, middle class and to the working individuals in the United States. It's always been difficult for that move to happen very quickly, but I'm, I think we're starting to see that very much now with GameStop. GameStop made a ton of young millionaires you know, they made, I mean, I, there, are, there are guys that I know that bought homes and, you know, they're retired and they're like 27 years old, man. They're, they're not working anymore because they got ahead of GameStop. And now all of these individuals, and these are just from my, my, my circle of friends, that they're now sitting thinking, okay, we have this money. How do we continue to do this to the, you know, how do we continue to keep the market in true check? How do we continue to balance the market so that it is a fair place? And it starts with information flow and, you know, putting your money where your mouth is. And an example would be holding the line, you know, having diamond hands, you know, having the faith that's necessary, being educated enough to take a position on something and to know that uh, what you're doing, of course, you want to make money bottom line uh, and always do what's best for you uh, as any kind of investor in any situation. But if some of my friends have these positions and they're like, I'm just never going to take it out because uh, they, they don't know what's actually going on with these synthetic shorts and these synthetic and these short positions. So they're just like, I'm just going to leave it in and until something happens, you know, until these individuals that are in these short positions are so far in the hole that they, but they go bust. And so what going, yeah, what going bust looks like will be, again, the future will determine there's a lot of exciting things that are going to happen, not just in the next, like, you know, five years, I'm talking like three to six months. We're, we're, we're watching stuff come out on a weekly basis. So from the game stuff, Gamma Squeeze, we're starting to see crazy stuff with AMC. And, um, you know, we saw that fund, uh, recently get that margin and just got the, 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 the insane squeeze of a lifetime put out on them, you know? Yeah. And Melvin Capital, you know, we so we've seen institutions that are crumbling. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the 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 figure that that was thrown around. Now, again, I'm not sure how accurate this is, but they they they'd been like hedge funds had been estimated to have lost uh, like sixty to seventy billion in January um, because of this, which is which a, ph- a phenomenal amount of money. And like people talk about GameStop already 
like they, they they talk about the future of like okay so when 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 the squeeze is squoze when it really happens um that that it's going to be the largest top-down wealth transfer in the history of the world but you almost argue that we've already seen that with what happened in in january and the the hedge funds losing 70 billion because the 70 billion didn't just evaporate it ended up in the pockets of of people like like um roaring kitty um and and people who who got in there early and I, it's it's really curious that the or i find it really interesting that you think that that we're going to see this level of transparency start to start to appear because to me it, it appears that we've reached this point where where the internet has become like i, I thought that maybe 10 years ago that we'd already seen the like digital disruption that you were going to get from the internet um, or from tech through like these new internet banks popping up and like just platforms allowing people to trade and or cryptos. And just, I thought we'd seen the disruption already and, and that that was kind of done for, for like retail that was done for, for finance, that finance had been um, disrupted and then once again, subsumed by, by the large institutions. But, now we're witnessing this um, almost battle, and and something that that um, Keith Gill, uh, deep fucking value, roaring kitty, whatever you want to call him, uh, said in his in his testimony yeah. before Congress during the first hearing was that all of the people who were testifying, um, like um, Vlad or um, Gabriel Plotkin or any of them, they were 100% sitting there with 10 people behind the camera telling them what to say, how to react. Um, they would have scripted their answers to things. They will have prepared them. They will have coached them. And he was just sitting there like sharing his opinion, his thoughts based on his research for people to deal with. And it feels like we've almost got this this like huge hive mind that has suddenly like come alive because because of the information that is available obviously there's a lot of sort of numbers like as you said that the numbers could drive you crazy and it's incredibly complex and for a reason as well it's you know it keeps out the the regular person and we're seeing this like really weird like moment where the internet I can tell you I actually the the let me let me let me stop right there, Josh. The, yeah. That's beautiful because you're starting to get to what is my bread and butter. This is the most exciting aspect of everything because we're starting to draw what, what we're starting to see now because there's such a heightened level of awareness in the regular individual about everything that's going on in the world. Initially, I believe that cool off period you were talking about when you when you thought that the disruption was over, that things settled. It's kind of like a stock price. It, it goes up, you know, there's a new catalyst, it goes up and then it cooled off. Mm. And then all of a sudden, GME, Reddit, Wall Street, Bets, AMC, boom, shorts again, it's blasting off. But that stock, that measurement, that graph is actually human awareness. So in my opinion, and again, this is the basis of which I wrote my first science fiction novel, The Spark Out Of. Um, it's a book that follows the... the um, growth of another sentient apex species in another dimension from nomadic egalitarian harmonic magic practicing people into sedentary capitalist artificially sentient uh, immortal people and the growth from those positions and the transition in those eras and the effects on consciousness and the different cues and indicators that were very much relevant 
to, it's very much relevant to what we're seeing today. And, and this is where I get into bigger, you know, I, in my series, Beyond the Light, I actually present my, my theory of cyclical consciousness. I give my proposal as to why the Big Bang happened and why it will continue to happen again and again. I give a bunch of really interesting uh, uh, dialogue uh, about what it's like to participate as, as an individual with a sentient mind and what it's like for groups of, of sentient minds to participate together and what, um, what some of the confusing aspects to that interaction might be and how to uh, essentially, you know, confront, or maybe I propose ways that I would confront it. Um, with what is going on in the financial market, we're starting to see a manifestation of people who are aware that things are not right. And this is, uh, again, for a long time, it's great for people, the hippie revolution. In, in the 70s, we saw all these people that were like, you know, we don't want to do these things. We're not going to be controlled. Our perception is not going to, you know, we're not, no, no to Vietnam, peace, love, happiness. But they weren't affecting what fuels the world going round, which is what we all talk about. What makes the world go round? Money. And now with our generation, with these individuals who are so privy and so good with, I mean, I've seen people that can use phones way better than me and that can use the internet way better than me that can use uh, this, these different mechanisms of relaying information in a way to get a message across to thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people very quickly within days. Mm -hmm. That's that for an individual to be able to do that. That's never been had before. So what we're seeing is the perfect melting environment for uh, mass, what, what I call a group, the mass consciousness for its true sub subconscious of the, of the whole hive mind. It's, there is a hive mind. There's very much so a connection between all living organisms. And what we're starting to, what we've always seen in storytelling, what we've always seen since the, the one of some, one of the greatest storybooks in my opinion of all time, it also has some really great, you know, motifs, the Bible. It's always this battle between good and evil, the yin and the yang, the light and the dark, the male and the female, the one and the zero. We're always seeing these dichotomies that it seems like there's the dueling nature of the two hemispheres of the mind, the creative and the logical. We, we see this occur over and over and over again. And what we're starting to see now is the manifestation of that on a very big scale. So the suppression that has been had of what's been going on financially for the middle class is uh, something that's been going on for a while. And this is the manifestation of us pushing through that and breaking past that suppressive barrier and now reaching, you know, re having to shed light on what has been dark for so long. And all of these things are coming out. And now there has to be because of the level, because the accountability that the internet provides, um, there has to be change or, we as a group will do what we've always done to tyrannical leaders and we will go into their castle, rip them out and be like, all right, you're done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent what form that revolution takes in the 21st mm -hmm. century, but I think you're hundred percent right that this is what we're approaching because so Elon Musk, I think mentioned one, one of his appearances on, on the Joe Rogan experience was that like, we're already cyborgs. We are essentially cy like our phone is like this, like it's just, it turned us into a cyborg. That's like helping us plug in to, to the hive mind as, as we've called it. And I think what we're witnessing in a lot of stuff 
in which speaks to what you said about technology um, and the internet just amplifying everything is we're seeing this last 10, 12 years since, since um, the internet really entered everyone's lives, like in the way it has is, is, is like breaking through this, this barrier of, of providing people with, with so much information that, that we don't quite know what to do with in some cases. And it's something that Tim Dillon, actually the comedian talks about when, when he talks about, um, about QAnon, because he says, look, these people have just discovered that, um, there was some some like pedophiles who were working in government and then they just get all this information that they knew or that was out there and suddenly they're just their mind gets blown and they will they, they've no idea what to believe anymore they've no idea what's true and they, they're just suffering from this like information overload and I think the same thing happens with like the the hyper woke people when they discover that yeah your nation did some really 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 fucked up shit like history is awful it is full of of murderous brutal dictators of horrible stories of people doing the most unimaginably cruel things ever and you discover this and then you like of course you can lose your mind as soon as you as like if you if you've just gone through thinking oh you know america's great or britain is fantastic and then all of a sudden you like get to 17 18 25 and you discover that you know we 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 committed genocide in in some places arguably and we we brutally murdered people we were fine with the slave trade we or there's there's so many horrible things and and it's this case of like information overload and i see it happening online as well with with the game stops um thing because there's so much information about what's going on that people just, and, and I'm struggling with this as well. I do not know what to believe. I don't know like, like who is, who's right. What analysis is correct. Like who's pulling numbers out of their ass and, and yep. drawing connections that aren't there. And, and it's, it's, it feels like uh, this might be the moment where the hive mind has actually figured it out. And, Maybe, like maybe. Yeah, yeah. In, I agree. I agree. So you're 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 very correct. We're, if we're not figuring it out, the the big boat in the ocean is now steering itself through that collective consciousness toward the right direction. We're at least going the right direction. We're shedding light. We're being fear. What, what I love is we're being fearless and taking a stand and taking a literal and metaphorical position. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's hilarious. It's so hilarious. The language that's used in the stock market is so beautiful and eloquent for the situation that's going on. On what is going on with the the way that things are being handled in the interaction of the financial institutions, the government, you know, big 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 banks, um, and the United States, and everyone that trades in the U.S. stock market. Um, but I would have to say. We're, we're headed the right direction. If the mechanisms, uh, I, that's what, uh, again, we, 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 at my co-founder Omar Sharif and I, that's why we founded the Stonk News Network because we said, okay, what can we do to help facilitate? Because you, you said it earlier, uh, what can we do to help? What can we do to help facilitate this revolution, this change? How can we be a catalyst? How can we add and contribute to society? we can create very entertaining and informative pieces that help to educate an individual because you said it earlier, 
it becomes so difficult with this um, like sheer volume of information. It like makes your stomach nauseous thinking about what all is out there. I mean, I, I, I love the, that Twitter is such a great platform for very big celebrities like, you know, Elon Musk, Matthew McConaughey to use, but man, I, I open Twitter sometimes and I'm like, I don't even know. I, I don't even know how to use this thing the right way. Like I'm looking at this, just tweets, there's so much information that it makes me like swipe up. I'm done. I'm just going to post a tweet and then get off. That's it. Um, it's like that, but for everything. So what we can do as individuals that have the, the time and I'm speaking for, for you, myself, Omar, people that talk and have discussions that are, you know, kind of in the media uh, area is provide very well put together pieces of content and provide very poignant, very aware bits of information to the the because if you do it in that nature in that light the world will find you that's just how we work as a group that's how this whole hive mind mentality has been working if you create from a place of earnest like genuine care and love for what is going on in your society in change for something better the world will find you. It's only a matter of time. It, you know, and it, it, it's been proven throughout time. We have great authors and great poets and great individuals in our history that had these amazing works that really do shed light and shed great value to human uh, collective consciousness and, and psychology that, you know, even if they weren't found during their lifetime, they were found after and they were revered and they were shared and they were spread, you know, amongst academia and amongst the intellectual communities. So it will be found. Your job is to, create with that honesty, with that transparency, with that intent and do it the best you possibly can. That's what I found would be a great role for the, for what me and Omar have allocated to this. We've created a company for it so that the, the organization has one intent and that is to fuel the retail investor revolution and to become the central information source for the retail investor. And that is a combination of a lot of things. It's education because like you said earlier, it's so overwhelming. How do you deal with it? Well, it helps a lot if you have foundational principles that are, you know, both time tested and group tested that are peer tested. That's why in academia, we have peer reviewed studies. You know, you can't just make a claim that this is the way you got to look at the world. You got to tell it to the world and then the world validates you. Hmm. So that's what you want it. That's what we want to do. And that's how we help with essentially you put your parameters in place. And so my background uh, in uh, post-secondary studies, so college and university was computer science and applied mathematics. And with that, I was very, very blessed uh, that some might say, or, you know, very, very fortunate to get a good understanding of the essence of computers. And so there's a lot, if you look into it, a lot to find out and a lot of really beautiful parallels in the way that the human mind works the way that logic works and, and all of these different things, all of that to essentially say you put a, a solid framework in place for uh, any kind of thinking computing machine, be it a machine program, be it artificial intelligence software, or one of the greatest, you know, computing softwares ever, the biological software of the human mind. You put good foundational frameworks in place for them to analyze and interpret information and to become more efficient at doing that over time. That is what AI does. If we as humans adopted a little bit more and learned a little bit more from our artificial, you know, programs that we're creating, and we, we, we looked at uh, when we're analyzing something like information about financial institutions, information about the stock market, if we looked at it through that lens with a little bit less emotion, 
and a little bit more of an analytical mind from the right framework, it becomes a lot less stressful. <laughs> it becomes a lot easier and a lot less intimidating. It makes you want to wake up in the morning because you're like, okay, another day that I get to, you know, apply some principles, learn more about the world around me and take part in what's going on with this change. That's exciting. That makes me want to get up. You know, one of the things I think that we struggle with and why the entertainment sector is so big right now is we love escaping. We love escaping. And it's not a bad thing because even in these escapes, they're constructs of our human imagination. So they still have trace elements of what's going on in objective reality. Um, that's why great storytelling is so, I believe, one of the biggest impacts that you can have on the world is to tell a great story. If you tell a great story so that someone can leave their current reality, escape and go into a place and experience something new and fun, and at the same time, maybe get something away from it, whether they were aware of it or not, you know, because everyone has that experience. You watch a movie as a kid, and when you watch it again, like 20 years later, you're like, oh my gosh, I missed everything. <laughs> you know, you know, and yeah. that, feeling, that feeling is very much so um, what I believe uh, the essence of a great story is, and you can have such a great impact. Cause I mean, you'll watch that story and not only will it connect with that sense of nostalgia and, you know, reverence for your childhood and where you were at then, but now the impact and the reflection you have that day, you know, I've seen uh, great, great, great films, you know, change my course in life. You know, I've had a couple of movies that I watched that really, really made me think like, man, there's something maybe to math that I wasn't seeing in elementary school, wasn't seeing in junior high, wasn't seeing in high school. I should give it a shot in college. And it, it, it gave me, you know, mechanisms of thinking, ways of interpreting information that have become foundational to the way that I go out and interact with the world now. So th that's just one example of a story. You know, there's other tons of other ways I'm sure that they impact people's lives. And um, all of that to say is uh, if we help people to entertain them, so escape, because people are going to, you know, it's, it's, it's a healthy part of, you know, the way that we interact with the world. They're going to take part in these forms of escapism. But if that form of escapism can also be something that is very potent and very powerful to connect you again to maybe taking action and taking a stand or a position or whatever the case is, then as creators, we've done our job as you know, members of a collective society where we're all participating in, we're doing our job to help each other because that's really what it's about. We don't have anyone else but each other right now. You know, that's, that's the thing that you have to, that I've found is very valuable in walking around and, and holding in my heart is like, okay, everyone that I'm interacting with, there is a way for me to reach their lives. And it's through this. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's right here. It's what we're doing here on this podcast. There's ways that we can impact people and, and these mechanisms are already there. They're being deployed by individuals and institutions, whether they're doing it intentionally or not is an argument, but they're being deployed in a negative way. There is a big negative force deploying these mechanisms to put the collective sense of consciousness and attention of humans on things that are truly not valuable. And so it's been a very interesting fight, which is what we're watching in the financial sector to see how the transition of attention on things that are irrelevant and are not edifying to the individuals and to the collective society slowly make that steer to where there's a lot of attention on GameStop. There's a lot of attention on AMC. There's a lot of attention on these insane things going on in sectors that actually matter, that impact 
the rates that you get mortgages at that impact retirements for, for our elderly, you know, for the people that have contributed to our society, built our society, our predecessors, you know, it impacts them. It impacts generational wealth. You know, the, the, the reaches of this impact are so far reaching. You could write uh, an entire, like it's been a lifetime creating the scenarios in which it impacts people. You know, that's, that's how far it goes. Mm. So I want to get like a little bit abstract here, but I think we've already crossed that bridge, so it's fine. <laughs> um, so the something you mentioned there about escapism and, and about the way people like you to construct stories based on based on our, our imagination and our reality that, that that we then like inhabit to get away from things is is like that when when people create like structure whether that is the structure of um a fictional world or whether that's the structure of how a market like a stock market is meant to work is that we all tend to start with this idea that that's how it is that the rules are there and that's how the game is played or this is the world that you inhabit in in the the in the this is the fictional world that these characters inhabit and then when when those rules get broken or when the breaking of the, those rules when that kind of world gets shattered a little bit people get like really viscerally angry yep for example that's uh, that an evolutionary inheritance mm, and like there's there's two examples that spring to mind from from fiction and it's uh the first one is game of thrones they created this beautiful fantastic world and and george rr R. martin created this f- f- um fantasy world that was brilliant i think not because it was creative and brilliantly written which it is um the conversations are fantastic but the reason it succeeded is because they had the characters were so well defined and the actions provided consequences for your heroes you didn't know like if they made a bad decision they might die because they've made a bad decision and and when that like fear or that that was kind of removed in season seven and eight where where you know characters would make stupid decisions and be fine or they had like serious plot armor like suddenly people people got real angry at the the the, the fact that the, the world that had been created had been shattered the same thing happened in star wars where when um leia in oh what is it the 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 last Jedi when she gets killed and then all of a sudden she's magically like more powerful than any person we've seen in, in like star Wars, like cinema, maybe not the expanded universe, but she just sort of Mary Poppins flies after being (laughs) murdered. And you're just like, come on, man. Like I remember like myself getting really angry and you can see the same anger happen in, in the stock market where we, people will go through like due diligence and explain the rules, explain how things are meant to happen explain what the system is meant to be based on and then when we see that that might all be fraudulent and just based on nothing like people get angry and they get to that point where they will they will happily express the opinion and this is a very widely held and expressed opinion on on reddit and on 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 discords is that like screw the hedge funds. Like I will lose my entire investment if it brings them down. Is the people people like if 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 the rules turn out and the, the, the causing this institutions, man. <laughs> yeah, like if the game turns out to be false, then people get really angry at the game and they will just want to tear it all down. Mm-hmm. It's 
terrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is. And it's. I so that 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 opinion is something that um, is very interesting. It's very interesting to say the least. Um, as to the, I, I read a post that was like this guy he posted and he was like, "I'm an electrical engineer." He, the post title was, "You think that this? You think that losing scares me? Comma, I've been losing all my life." And this guy was like, this is why I became an electrical engineer was because I knew that I would be invaluable to society. So I could take all of my paycheck. He said, I'm single. I got one cat. I'll pump every single last dollar of my paycheck into GME until I die. If that's what it means to take you guys down. And I saw like such like, I mean, it was a, it was like a page long, man. This guy spent a large section of his day dedicated to expressing this post and this sentiment. And, uh, I found it, I find it fascinating. Um, it's, yeah, there was there's there's been so much of that opinion expressed. I've seen people I've seen like pictures of of people who who like lost the, they're like I've lost my girlfriend, I've lost my flat, I'm living in a tent beside my car, but I'm still holding. And I was just like we have lost our collective minds. Like <laughs> because you know, I like fair play to the guy. Like th- those are some serious diamond hands. But like, Yeah. But but the fact that we're at this moment where where people are willing to just say, like, screw you. Like, there was one post, and I think it was, like, mid-January it went up. It was a guy who was like, look, my father's construction company went under in 2008 because of your reckless gambling. Mm -hmm. Because of your literal just gambling with everyone's mortgages and, like, the entire U.S. housing market and the world economy, ultimately. And he was like, look, you people have no idea how, how much that broke my family. You think I, I'm not willing to go a bit broke at the possibility of revenge? Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's, it is a, it's potent. It's 100% potent. And it's true because pe- a lot of these individuals have reason to be angry. There is, there is reason to justify anger in this situation from the perspective of retail investors. There is. Now, in the instance of the guy that lost his girlfriend flat and is sitting in the tent, you gotta, this is where we got to educate on like some level of, you know, self-control parameters, you know, that's some serious diamond hands, man. But I'm saying like, you know, maybe liquidate a little bit so you can stay in a <laughs> take hot shower, you know, there's, there's just, um, it, it, it is almost, it's, it's irrational in some circumstances. And to the, and so this is where I also caution anyone reading the internet, the amount of, you know, I'd be curious to see if this guy like was posting his entire journey, like video wise, you know, cause uh, anyone, the danger of the internet. And it's also, again, this is a, a, a caution to everyone that has never been on Reddit that here's our, po- here's the podcast and then gets on Reddit. Um, this is not financial, financial advice. advice. Yeah. This is not financial, always not financial advice, entertainment purposes only, <laughs> but be careful about what you read and who, you know, take everything in the world that you can't see directly with a grain of salt. Always, 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 always. And that's just safe internet practice. That's something that I think we need to make sure we educate like preschoolers and first graders and second graders as they continue to to get into life. You know, there's a lot of people out there. And uh, one thing is, is a reality stranger than fiction. You'll see some insane uh, circumstances in life develop out. And you want to just take things with a grain of salt because you don't want to use any information that is misinformed to make a calculated decision in your life. 
Yeah, no, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. That's a, that's a great way of putting it. Now, there's, there's a few things that like I want to try and get, uh, get into because I'm keen to to get your kind of explanations, perhaps on on some of the the, the terms and phenomenon that we've seen um, mm-hmm. and claims that we've we've seen um, based around like some of the more complex. Um, financial instruments now there's a lot of uh like there's so many terms being thrown around and and different just huge complex concepts and and i'm trying to like get a grasp on what x y and z means and like you read a due diligence is just peppered with stuff so like why don't we start with um something simple so what what is sell what does that mean you mean just like the term sell? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've never heard it. Um, I, I only know buy and hold. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, no, I'm messing around. I, I said to my friend I would do that. Um, <laughs> so um, the, one of the things that I've seen talked about is that people that the, the hedge funds were were hiding shorts in ETFs. And yep. I spoke to um, Lily Frankus, and she runs the the Nope chart, um, which is like an a, a, like an analysis of the market based on like options. Don't ask me to explain what it is, but she <laughs> essentially told me that. The, the, the idea that, that hedge funds could hide shorts with ETFs was just not true. Um, uh, and I've seen people say that it is true. Like, what do, you, what do you make of that like suggestion? So I will say this. She said that institutions cannot hide short positions, uh, taking short positions, or essentially be transparent this is what it is. It's all about transparency. She said that there cannot be transparency using the mechanism of an ETF. Maybe, maybe not. There's a higher question to be asked about all of it. And that question is quite simply this. Are there creative mechanisms for large financial financial institutions to not be transparent about their positions in the market? And there is a very clear and very resounding answer to this. And that is yes. There are plenty of creative, and if there aren't a plenty now, I can guarantee you that with the amount of resources that these institutions have and the amount uh, of intellectuals out there in the world, very smart individuals, individuals far smarter about the stock market than me that have decades of experience, uh, combine that with lawyers and, you know, you know, creative politicians and lobbying, you throw all that in one mix. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that enough money buys a creative mechanism for you to not be transparent with where you're at in the current landscape of the market. That is without a doubt, 100% the case. Yes. And there was a really good, um, a really good ask me anything with the CEO of Better Markets. Uh, I think we mentioned him a couple of times, uh, uh, Dennis Keller. And he, uh, again, is a very big authority that I recommend people uh, check out the uh, Better Markets website because very plainly on the front page, they have a ton of great information um, that if you don't, if you have the time to read and you prefer reading, um, then there's a lot of really good information to be dug out there where they describe the fact that that is the current situation, that institutions don't have to be transparent, but even bigger and even better, 
is he provides his package solution that he and his company and other individuals that are for Main Street, the retail investor, you know, the working class of America, to help us to gain insight into what is actually going on in the market, to set new parameters on how financial institutions have to interact with taking positions and moving money and how they behave with banks. Because that's another thing that a lot of people, you know, uh, that's really coming to light with the current uh, big fund that really got crushed by that margin call. Um, uh, the interaction. Yeah, yeah. So say it again. I think it's Archegos. I think Archegos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't pronounce it either. Um, that that institution, the way that they, they interacted with big banks like Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, uh, Deutsch, you know, all these banks, they essentially allowed them to create what we call a synthetic short position through using like mechanisms like trade swaps. So that was a. a that's allowed. That's, that's not what it is. Is it's not allowed. It's not, not allowed. <laughs> it's not restricted is the more clearly logical, correct of stating these things. Hmm. And as, as people continue to get more involved in the stock market and they get a better, more you know rudimentary understanding of why legislation is important and why the SEC exists and why they're sitting on their hands and they have been for a long time and why they're incentivized, obviously to do so. Um, it, it, it becomes a lot clearer and it becomes very clear that, that uh, I would have to maybe not directly disagree with um, what was her name? Uh, Lily Frankus. I'll put Ms. the link Frank- in the description if anyone wants to check out the, the conversation. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to, I'm going to check that out after this. Um, I would definitely say uh, I have to not directly disagree with her because it might not be that direct mechanism. ETFs might not be the exact way that they do it, but I would on a larger question want to ask her you know are there creative pathways and I, i'm confident if she you know she knows the industry she's been around it for a while she would have to agree and say yes but i don't want to put words in her mouth <laughs> <laughs> like so how did we get to this point where like this level of like opacity was is is just sort of accepted the um the 2008 crash was was meant to be this moment where we suddenly realized how fraudulent banking was and and how they're all crooks and um, you know that 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 they are willing to just uh, the, the the whole thing with the the 2008 crash and the, the the big short does a fantastic job of actually explaining what happened and it wasn't just like a few banks taking risks it was the entire system all complicitly together deciding that they were either going to ignore risks or they were just going to like rubber stamp things or there's that scene where um mark Baums uh goes to the the rating agent the ratings agency and she just goes well you know, if we don't give them the AAA, they'll just go straight down the street to Moody's. And you're like, wow. Like they, they, they're all just, it's fine. She was wearing, she was wearing the, the, the really dark glasses because she had eye surgery. I yeah. love that. Whoever directed that did a great job. They're blind. They're blind by money. That's what it is. Plain and simple. It, they see it, it's like, what's the best way to put it? When, when there's a big bright light sh- shown on like a very glamorous object and you're just like, you're just kind of blinded, you're, you're stunned and you're just petrified by beauty essentially of the allure of what you could be, you don't see that it might be sitting on a giant pile of dog crap. You, know, you just because you, you're blind you can't see it and so that's that's what happened in that instance and that's what it, it can it, that is a, a cycle that 
if you look at human history as repeated countless times and time again, you know, you, you bite off more than you can chew and you're not assessing, uh, this term is pretty common in the, in the financial market. You're not assessing risk logically. You're emotionally now fixated on the idea of making a crud ton of money, which is what happened. You know, before 2008, there were people like, like in the big short does a great job, man. They were buying multiple homes. People were taking, you know, hundred million dollar bonus checks, you know, institutions were making hand over fist record numbers until they don't. And ultimately who does the, the, the weight of that burden really fall on? It falls on, the majority, which in this case is not financial institutions, it's the working class, uh, you know, people. It's it was the, the like the backbone of America. Yeah, well, it was all yeah, it was the taxpayer money that that bailed them out ultimately. Um, the 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 next thing I'm 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 curious to get onto is like there's been over the last yeah couple of months there's been a lot like a lot of accusations. I'm trying to compile um, as many of them as I can of. Uh, like shells on Reddit, like spreading FUD um, that, you know, the, the, the joke is that it's like a whole bunch of hedge fund interns just, um, you know, being whipped by their bosses uh, to buy Reddit accounts and go on and, and, and tell everyone to sell. And the, 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 the story of what people believe the shills are saying just by itself is fascinating. Like everyone is like, no one knows who's real. No one can tell who's spreading FUD. Who's being like a like a I don't know who's trying to just be realistic, and and the the something that I was watching um, a fantastic podcast with um, Brett Weinstein and Jordan Peterson, and I can't remember if it was on which one of their shows it was on because they did like a swap thing recently. But I got the quote here, um, and and Jordan Peterson said a phenomenon that has recently emerged from the increase in online community interactions is a seeming abundance of acute paranoia. One of the causes may lie in the ability to hyper-select communities themselves. At your weakest point psychologically, you choose the least demanding compatriots. And so your craziest ideas are the least likely to be challenged. And I thought that was a fantastic assessment. Like, and he wasn't, he was talking nothing to do with GameStop, but I think it's, it's, it speaks to this, this idea that we, the, the community can become like almost like hyper paranoid, like, like he says that we're, we're anything that's like questioning the narrative, like people, like someone will say, Oh, it's a shell. It's a shell. It's a shell. It's the hedge funds. But at the same time, like right around this, the spike of the, the, the first uh, peak in, in January, there was like a monstrous peak in Google searches about how to buy a Reddit account. Um, so that's coming from somewhere. Like someone is trying to get onto Reddit with accounts that seem like legitimate people and for whatever reason, like draw whatever conclusions you want, but that was real. So like how, how, how paranoid do you think the community has got or, you know, how, how accurate do you think they are in identifying people just, you know, spreading FUD, like fear, uncertainty, doubt, if anyone doesn't know what that is. Mm-hmm. I think, I would say incredibly because what's at stake here? People's money. Mm. Anytime people's money are at stake, what's like the only, what's like the most quick, what's like the quickest way to get somebody to be like hyper protective mama bear mode, you know, mess with their money, (laughs) mess with someone's money and you will see all of their principles hit the fan and they come out, you know, guns loaded beast ready. Mm. You know, that that's anytime you mess with someone's money, that's, that's just what happens. Um, 
so I think, yeah, the, 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 uh, <laughs> the Reddit community is hyper-focused on finding the shills and destroying them. They're like white blood cells that just went AWOL and they're just like eating everything, destroying everything in the system. You know, the, the <laughs> they're like, act, yeah, it's like an active lysome that just like went just ham and just like, nope, you're a shill, don't eat. Um, and it's, it's a dangerous, it, it, I think it's a good thing because what it does is the the people that are wanting to challenge the shield, the the potential imposters will scrutinize and look at every single word in that statement that you know like that's the thing about written correspondence your statement is very clear you know there's no there's no room for you know backtracking backpedaling it's all there it's said you can pick apart someone's statement very logically. So it, it, if, if they're not a shill, they will expound and they will continue to have the dialogue until they get to the point of both of them acknowledging what the truth in the situation is. If they are a quote unquote shill, they're just going to keep, you know, you know, bashing and, you know, sell, 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 blah, 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 blah. I'm not a shill, but blah, 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 sell, sell, sell. And it will become very, obvious to everyone on the forum okay yeah that's definitely a shill and and the cool thing about reddit is the up and down vote uh, element so it, it it becomes a game of, of again numbers uh how many accounts are legitimate versus how many are not and and can you justify the legitimacy of a statement based on its upvote to downvote ratio or even further the context of the discussion um and one big question I ask in all this, is, do you have the time? <laughs> <laughs> so as an individual, personally, like I love, I love, um, I love Reddit and I love what it offers in terms of value. Um, it's, it's a great place, but you have to learn how to use that beast. You have to learn. There's definitely some training wheels to be had when browsing Reddit your first couple months. And as you continue to journey into it, especially with what's going on now, because I, I personally, would not put it past again if you have an abundance of resources why not justify by you know paying a bunch of interns you know all right guys how can we save some tax money well if we you know create an internship program hire a bunch of kids turn into a little sweatshop of reddit 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 posts uh essentially you know we can claim that on our taxes as funding education and then we get all these kids who know how to use these things because we don't uh to interact with this community and to spread misinformation to hopefully better our positions it's not an unlikely idea it's really not if i i mean put myself putting myself in that situation if i had all those resources hey that's a good way to justify a tax a tax saving you know that's that saves that saves money in the, for mm-hmm. the company in the long run, and you know, um, so it, if anything, it just slows the beast down. You know, it's the the beast of of what's going on in Reddit, what's going on in information flow. Uh, but there is also one thing that I don't think anyone is looking for, uh, and this was an interaction that I had with a few OTC companies that were, um, uh, interestingly enough, trying to get me to highlight their company. Um, Everyone out there, be very careful about promises from penny stocks and from, and if anyone that's uh, not AMC or GME makes this claim, I'm going to, I'm going to look at them with a microscope to see what's been going on in their financial history. But anyone that is an OTC claiming that you should buy their stock or that there is an eminent short squeeze that's going to happen to that penny stock or that OTC 
be very, very careful. Be very, very, very careful. Uh, that screams to me fraud. And there is um, instances where I, I'm now finding, you know, personally, I've, you know, CEOs and individuals have approached me uh, wanting me to highlight their company, e- even maybe not CEOs, maybe it's the friend of a CEO. So it's not as directly uh, traceable. Um, there's a lot of interesting things that companies themselves are doing to try to capitalize on what happened with GameStop because GameStop now no longer abides by fundamentals. GameStop is pretty pretty pumped. You know, it's got a lot of money in it now. And so there's a lot of, you know, uh, allure in that idea of, ooh, maybe I can be the next GameStop. Ooh, you know, I can imagine the profits we could take if we got, you know, viral like GameStop. That's kind of the idea that some of these companies are having. So I really encourage people um, as they continue to get in the stock market and you, you know, go from, you know, analysis of publicly traded companies that are on, you know, NASDAQ and and that are, you know, big companies that are vetted. um, Be careful venturing into the OTC and the, uh, the, the penny stock world, because there will be a lot of bold claims from these companies. And it is a very high risk, high reward area where if you're not experienced in being able to spot fraudulent uh, financials and, 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 you know, just weird track records and weird claims and strange interactions with uh, shareholder meetings. Um, you might be very easily, you might get the veil pulled over your head uh, and you'll lose some money. When you, when you see the media, um, like put, try and push like the next GameStop, like for example, in, in the start of February and the January, there was, um, this, this phenomenon where I would open my phone and like the, the suggested news thing would just be like, Oh, SLV is the next GameStop. Like Redditors are abandoning GameStop for SLV, like hilariously, not even silver, just SLV, like this company that's associated with silver. And and then like there was, I don't know how many articles I saw talking like with this narrative. And then you just, you like a cursory glance at Reddit front page, top post, not on Wall Street Bets, top post on Reddit was do not buy SLV. This is the distraction. And the narrative on Reddit at least was that this was um, the hedge funds paying the media to you know, shill for them to, to back up their, you know, to back them up, to get people to forget GameStop so that they could cover their short positions and people would pump something else. Hilariously, um, Citadel, I think, were one of the top holders of uh, of the company um, at the time. But I was trying to like parse out whether I thought that this was like actually the hedge funds just calling up like CNBC and, and MSN, MSNBC and, and, and CNN and all, all of the news networks or the business um, news networks and saying, hey, you need to get people off a off, uh, off GameStop. And how much of it was journalists thinking they were smart, like looking for the clicks of being of, of all the people who aren't like 100% invested in the GameStop story, just sort of cur- like hearing about it on the news. Oh, GameStop's going up. And then they think, oh, maybe I can make a few quid on that. And then seeing some article about the next GameStop and that they're going to click on it straight away. Now, how, how much do you think it was like actual influence from, from hedge funds on the media? And how much was it? a bunch of lazy journalists trying to get clicks. It could be a combination of all of it, right? So the, that's the, the, the thing. And this is where, you know, 
it's difficult. It's difficult because you have to make a good judgment call, a good gut call. You have to put your finger on it. I say anything that comes out, if any mainstream media is essentially, because let me backtrack. GME was essentially a lottery, a lottery ticket, right? The first big spike when it hit 400 plus dollars a share, if you were in on it back in like last September, before the media, I mean, before this was a blip on the hedge funds radar, before this is a blip on any financial institutions radar, before even GME themselves were like, man, we're getting an awful, like a lot of buys right now. What's going on that they probably didn't even know what was going on. And it's their company. <laughs> no one knew about it. That's why it was so profitable. It was profitable if you were in before there were even claims on the street about it. So if a a mainstream media outlet is covering it on Apple news and it's like front page, I can guarantee you one thing that stock price is not going anywhere, but helping someone else that was in that position beforehand. You're late. If you are hearing about a, a particular ticker or particular stock, it's already too late. It's already too late unless there is some insane catalytic. I mean, like there's got to be a, a that's like a what we call like a black swan event. There's got to be a black swan event surrounding that particular thing if the mainstream media is covering about it, and there's still enough time for you to get into a position to make significant profit. Um, that's just period, end of story, all time. Like that, that I, I'm 100% firmly believe that that is the case. Um, so the fact that, you know, SLV and all that hit the mainstream, uh, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't put it past the idea of, uh, it's a very, it almost sounds funny. But it's a very old school way of trying to like use communications to control sentiment, you know, like, okay, uh, what, what, it sounds like a bunch of old dudes in suits sitting in the back door, smoking cigars that are like, well, how do we get the people to uh, not look at this anymore? Well, just show them something new and dangly. Dangle some more bling in front of them. And that'll do the trick. And then they're like, all right, all right I'm going to call my friend who's going to call a friend so that there's th- – another thing, too, is there will never be a direct link between any of these institutions and the media. It will always be some strange pattern or some strange links of intermediaries that eventually there will be a stop guy who will be the bag holder for if – that idea would ever come to light that it would never be able to fully come to light. So there, these individuals have such resources that uh, it'll be very difficult to ever trace the message getting there, but you could assume that there, there, there's probably something going on there. And again, there's also the assumption that it could just genuinely be the human system that's in place. The incentivization for journalists being that justification. So it could be one could be the other could be a combination of both. And, 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 you know, there's a lot of different things that it could be. My opinion, hmm, I think personally, it was probably more so journalists, you know, being incentivized, like, all right, guys, uh, or like an editorialist, it's like, oh, man, I've been on Reddit for a while. What would be a great idea is if I took a look at this particular company, or maybe he's found a Reddit post that was like, Ooh, if I get the early bird worm on this, then, you know, I'll hit front page. I'll get a nice bonus. Let's do Hmm. it. And then, you know, the, whoever heard it at the top got the perfect sales pitch for it was like, this is a great idea. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's pretty accurate. So um, before we talk a little bit about your, your fiction writing, um, 
Like, do you have any predictions whatsoever for what you think might might happen in the coming months? Um, with maybe not specifically GameStop, but the the the, the market generally, or financial regulation, the con- congressional hearings. Like, what do you? One hundred percent. I I I have a feeling we've already seen it. Um, we already started to see and unpack what's going on with the DTCC, what's going on with the NSCC. And for those that don't know, these are clearing houses. These are the people responsible for executing all the securities and equities trading in the, in the, the market. So these are the guys that are like, okay, this is what needed to happen today. We're going to release that, move this here, move that there. They're the guys that command the movement at the end of the day. Um, we're starting to see more regulation with them. They're changing very subtly right now uh, what their opinions and what their uh, transparency policies are and what level of accountability they will hold very risky institutions to. So those changes have already been put in place. The, The execution date on those keeps getting moved here or there, but the idea is there. The sentiment of the uh, institutions that will be held accountable by the United States government, if there was some crazy black swan market failure event due to negligent uh, institutions just being crazy with their trades, ego trading essentially, um, then those people will be held accountable and they will be liquidated. So that's kind of what's going on already. Um, I think we're going to see even more of it. I think personally, and this is again where I'm an optimist, I think as we continue down this path and as the, and it's really up to the people, it's always up to the people. If we continue to be aggressive in our pursuit of uncovering more information on how the market is, is, is currently being Uh, manipulated. And if we continue our pursuit and we continue to put pressure and we continue to put light and we continue to put human attention span on these ideas, um, it will be inevitable. The the, either there will be uh, people voted out of positions of power and again, new generations and and younger politicians coming into light, you know, stating that they will stand by these particular ideas and values get put into house and then, you know, put into positions and then execute what they said they would. Um, I think, I think we will, I think we will see change and I think we will continue to see reform in legislation um, as to, how fast and how abrupt and, you know, how, how great the reform might be. That is uh, only time will tell that. So we'll have to see where the pieces lay. Uh, but it, again, it's really exciting because the landscape is changing, you know, day to day, week to week in some circumstances, hours to hours. Yeah, we're definitely seeing it. I mean, there's uh, the, uh, the idea of revolution coming is, is interesting because I'm, 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 I've been looking at this thing called um, Strauss-Howe generational theory, which was um, dismissed by many academics as I think the quote is a scientific as astrology or a Nostradamus text. <laughs> but the theory basically goes that uh, every 80 to 100 years, there is like a cycle of humanity, which actually will bring us nicely onto um, your, your book. Um, but uh, they suggest that there are four, four turnings through, through that thing, and there's four generations. So you have the high, the awakening, the unraveling, and the crisis. So the high is when everyone has like, it's just after a crisis, everyone's super uh, invested in the institutions that they've newly built following this, this crisis, whether it was um, previously, it was uh, World War II. 
and that generation that kind of fought through that and then rebuilt the the institutions and like reaffirmed things and then slowly over that time over the the next sort of 80 to 100 years they suggest that things were are will people become less and less involved or less and less trustful in institutions uh, eventually leading to an unraveling some sort of revolution um and like a massive crisis and the idea right now is that we are entering that crisis. Um, they predicted that it would be between 2020 and 2025. Um, hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and they wrote this in 1987. So fair play to you guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, like the, 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 the obviously you can't, you can't predict what's going to happen in a generation. But I, I do kind of buy into the idea that, that, that we do have like cycles of, of humanity. Um, I'm, I'm curious, actually, you don't, you haven't heard that, but like, like it's, it's essentially, um, whereas the history repeats it through, repeats itself through uh, cycles of generational archetypes, i.e. strong men make good times, good men make weak times. Um, sorry, strong men make good times, good times make weak men, weak men make hard times, hard times make strong men. Um, and I mean men there in like humanity, not like men. Yeah, yeah, men. that's a that's a that's a hell of an argument. You know, then that's a, the, there's one thing that I've learned is um, being in a position of lack definitely it it's either live or die. It, it, any so that's what man, that's it's, it's a really great way of putting it, but. Um, evolution is a great tool it's it's been what has fueled biological systems uh surviving or dying and that that whole idea of like surviving or dying is exactly what you you can kind of pull from that exact notion you know weak weak men are forged in good times so when there's plenty when there's abundance there is no need or requirement for there to be you know um great innovation, great, great thinking, you know, great, you know, great, any, you know, anything. Uh, I, I would agree to some point about the hundred, the, the hundred year cycle. I do, however, though, uh, believe that the individuals that wrote that in the eighties maybe did not see how much of a catalyst technology is. I think it's even quicker now. Every, when I, when I say technology exponentiated everything, I mean like literally everything i mean the the rate at which other species go extinct is now faster the rate at which information flows is now faster the rate at which we use resources faster faster like everything has been ex like accelerated so i think that four generation thing might even be cut down to like one or two you know i think within like one or two lifetimes we will experience what a lot of big shifts have occurred in the past and i think we're heading into and this is a, I get into it in my second novel. Um, the, this is the next one that I've been working on. It's called the North Sentinel Island. Um, it's the second one of the Beyond the Light series. And it, it follows a, 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 a young man in a world that I kind of write out at around 2060, 2070, where we're under a little bit more of a global government umbrella, kind of like as if the United Nations had a little bit more influence in each superpower. And with that, um, he leaves and, and kind of uh, runs out of society after being a, a programmer for the meteorology department in their kind of top secret government area. He leaves to go to the last uncivilized culture 
on the face of the earth, which is this little island off of India, off the coast of India, which is a real place right now. And it is currently in this situation. Um, it's the last uncivilized society on earth. So it's a place where people still run, you know, wild, they move nomadically, they hunt and fish on this little island, and he wants to go be a part of it. His journey into that society has uh, after leaving, you know, the modern kind of globalized world um, and the events that occur therein, essentially it, it highlights kind of that idea that difficult times make a strong man. And so in going to find identity in that world in the North Central Island, he um, gains the values and the principles that he learns from, you know, living off of the land and finding a role in this warrior type society, warrior type tribe culture. And he comes back to use those values to shed light on what's going on in the globalized world uh, under uh, uh, essentially, uh, uh, I don't want to get into it. I don't want to spoil it too much. It, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, but the, 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 uh, the amount of evolution that takes place during that time and what happens both um, in the individual battles of the protagonist and the, the kind of globalized culture is essentially the same thing that we're facing now. It's light being shed through resilient individuals for change. Now, as to where we're headed as a world, it's a very interesting topic because I do believe that we're headed to a much more global society. And when I say that, I mean like politically and society, like society wise, I think eventually we should see what I believe to be the true. I, I believe this is the case. I think that borders should melt. I don't, I don't like the idea of borders. I never have liked the idea of borders because we're all just humans. And I know that that's like such a, cliche thing to say, but it really is the truth. Since I was a child, I was a military brat. So I was fortunate enough to live in, you know, uh, places like South Korea, Philippines, you know, Japan, uh, the United States. My mother is, you know, uh, Mexican. My dad is again, you know, Irish, red hair, blue eyes, you know, and I'm, I come from a, just a melting pot of, uh, essentially a modern nomad. That's what military brats are. We are forced to uproot and forced to go to new places like every year, every other year. So after having been exposed to that, I saw the same thing everywhere. Like people behave, people think we like to think that we're just so different than each other. Like, Oh man, my culture is so much better because of this, this or this. And if you go to the world and you travel a little bit, you find out that like everyone does the same thing. We just like call it a different name. And so I think borders are going to melt. I think we're going to go, you know, to some stranger, strange government umbrella um, or, you know, maybe group of like one to three, always in those numbers. Um, and it'll be very interesting to see how we handle that and how we handle currencies, because uh, that's going to be a whole debacle that's going to have to be had. Um, do we go towards a globally backed gold standard are we going to just thrive off blockchain? Is it a combination of both? Do we, you know, do we want a fiat currency that's physical or do we want a doge fiat? You know, like, like there's so many questions, so many creative strategies that are going to have to be had by, um, you know, groups of people. We're going to have to like, you know, and this is, oh man, this is a great, great point. This is where we get into 
when I was young, when I was around 15, 16, I had like these wonderful visions of, of the world uh, where I would just like go out and draw because I was starting to like, that's when I started programming. And that's when I started getting into like, you know, m- machine learning and deep learning algorithms. And um, I started to unpack a lot of things and it really got my imagination going. We, have you ever heard of the device called Flippy? No, it I is haven't. a, uh, so, okay. So it's a really cool device that's used in fast food franchises to flip burgers, to make fries, to do everything at the back end of a fast food restaurant. And it really was kind of, it's the beginning of what I saw as a child. I, I, I was like, okay, well, we're going to create all this great deep learning software, great robotics, great technology. There will become a time where we will hopefully, if we get our act together, successfully created systems so that there is an abundance of basic necessities, shelter, fresh produce, and uh, water. If we can solve those three things and make it so that everyone has equal opportunity to getting these things, and we do it in such a way that is not significantly damaging to the way that the earth needs to continue to, to, to the ecosystems need to be balanced. I think that that's very doable. And I think that that's very, very doable in like, if we really got our act together and put all of the crap aside and just focused on creating these mechanisms, we could get this done feasibly within 20 years. Hmm. If we as a society united and was like, all right, guys, we're going to solve these issues together. We're going to put aside, you know, who the burden of the financial claims come down to, who needs to be accessed, you know, visas, all this stuff. If we put it all aside and just said in, in a very Elon Musk mentality, make it as efficient a route as possible to getting the job done, cutting off the fat. If we did that, we could do that in 20 years. The technology already exists. We know how to do these things. We, we've created systems where we can produce, you know, infinite amount of produce in a system where water loss is like less than 1%, you know, and that's just the start. That's just the start of things. We, we could create, you know, programs and systems to educate individuals, to learn how they receive information the best way and to optimize these things. You know, there's so much more that could be done that we're getting, I believe we are very slowly creeping to that point where we're going to have a lot of people who are going to have a lot of time. And so what happens then, it will be very interesting to watch because I think uh, there's a lot of different, you know, theories on what happens when humans don't have to really uh, do work anymore. Um, Mm. Do we all become artists? Do we all, you know, know, I don't, I don't think that's for everyone. You see, like I, I, I used to be as optimistic as you are. And I still think that we're capable of creating that system, but I cannot remember if it's Elon Musk or Sam Harris that said this, but they said that as soon as we have the, the technology that is capable of, of building that we have to either immediately without fault, put that to the use of the betterment of humanity or we're fucked. Uh, yeah, um, because uh, that that power is is will be abused for the same reason actually that we're seeing the hedge funds um, to bring everything back full circle um, react so viscerally to the prospect that they might go under. Yep, it's, that they're becoming obsolete. Yeah, it's greed, and and unfortunately, that's a horrendous part of human nature but like a very real one at the same time. And, and uh, I am 
cautiously pessimistic that we're not capable of it. <laughs> yeah, with good, with good reason, with good reason. You know that it uh, it's a great balance that has to be had in the mind, in one's own mind of like you know optimism and realism. Um, I I'm just always I always strive to make you know uh, a optimistic claim. And that's because if the door, if people don't even realize that that door of reality exists, they will never even have the chance to peruse obtaining the key to unlocking it and going in that path. Um, but I would agree. It's going to be a difficult road. It's that, that it will, it will take, you know what it will take. It will take a group of young minds that really stand for change and that are good enough at getting and allocating enough resource in the system to create the mechanisms for humanity to then take the reins into their own hands and to make that change. And I, I do believe we're starting, we are starting to see that. We're starting to see really great entrepreneurs, really great individuals hold other people accountable as well as maintain creating mechanisms for you know, facilitating this change. Uh, Khan Academy is a great example. Khan Academy is one of the greatest online tools for education for things like physics, math, science, the STEM field, so that if you, you could not afford before, now it's a fair game. If you have access to the internet, you can learn pretty much anything. Uh, and that's really exciting because then it's really up to uh, how much you want it. It really always comes down to that. It's how much you want it, how much you can face yourself in the mirror every day and challenge the, the, the man or the woman in the mirror, the, or, you know, the individual in the mirror to uh, achieving what you see in your mind. That's, that's really uh, the big thing uh, that is both exciting and also um, definitely another of narrative in my first book, The Spark. Um, the, the, the main protagonist, his name is Yaya. And uh, there's a scene where he's fighting the greater spirit, Deg, this phoenix that lives in this... Um, uh, this essentially a volcanic vent on the planet of Thier. When he fights, De when he battles with Deg, he uh, goes into this essentially essentially a trance um, that a spell of a spell of stoning that Deg places on him as they're descending into the magma, um, and it takes him to a far off moon where he then has to battle uh, in a hand to hand type combat another Therian shadow uh, and who that shadow is and where they come from the ancestry of Yah and a bunch of other things really fits into this exact discussion that we're having, how the battle of the self and the battle that you have with your own mind is really a reflection of um, how you feel about the world. Well, wow, man, your, your uh, optimism and hope is infectious. <laughs> I gotta say, um, but uh, that feels like a really, really great note um, on which to wrap things up. Uh, so everyone go buy either my book or William's book or well, my both games, of <laughs> both of them. And um, if you want to contribute to GME, uh, buy my t-shirts as well. Uh, links for everything will be in the description below. So uh, yeah, man, thanks very much. It's been, uh, it's been fantastic. Yeah, thank you very much, Josh. It was wonderful having, uh, wonderful being on. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, follow me on Twitter, or sign up to our mailing list. Thanks a lot to our sponsor, ExpressVPN, the number one most trusted VPN. Get lightning fast connectivity with servers in 160 locations across 94 countries. Keep your browsing privacy safe with ExpressVPN. 
and get a 35% discount on 12 months of ExpressVPN when you follow the link in the description below. Don't forget my book is now out and available to order on Amazon and on bookshop.org. That's Brexit, the Establishment Civil War. And most importantly, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.